welcome back to Love Letters Bound in Gold Handcuffs. In the last episode, Roland had finished the exhibition he'd be working on in Cambridge, and Lee and Roland had started collaborating on artworks for the upcoming International Surrealist Objects and Poems exhibition. So this is another of Lee's creamy airmail papered letters. And we don't have a date for it, but the postmark stamp on the envelope is the 9th of November. Darling, I was so concentratedly gloomy until your beautiful pale blue letters arrived in the same post, followed in the afternoon by a fish from Triputa. Not that I believe the picture, and anyway, I'm disappointed that the damn thing is so small. I found a click clip in among my old photo junk and immediately practised for your benefit with the enclosed results. I particularly wanted you to see my permanent state of disorder. This is my own little air-conditioned sitting room upstairs. No one's allowed to derange anything and it's an unholy piling up of all the photos and negatives of Europe and Siwa. It's over this sofa that I intended to put up the big painting by Man Ray. But in that Kamal and Aziz gave it a vote of confidence, I'm putting it in the dining room instead. The Man Ray painting that Lee refers to here is indeed big. We believe it's titled Angry Men in the Afternoon. It's some rather wonderful abstract figures occupying a whole huge canvas, and they do look rather angry. Interestingly enough, Aziz and Kemal must have found it more acceptable than many of the other paintings in Lee's collection because they allowed her to hang it in their dining room. And that must have been a huge step for them. When Lee left Cairo and Aziz in 1939, the painting stayed behind and it got lost. But fortunately, it showed up a few years ago and now it is in an important collection. You can identify some of the objects on the table as the sparkling top, the diving glasses, Max's book and Triputin's. I think the jigger is wonderful so I can take as many pictures of myself as I want for you. Only I expect you to do the same. In that I'm the only one on any of these trips to carry a camera, I get left out of all of the pictures otherwise. On the other hand, I'm afraid that Kodaks will begin to think that I'm very vain. I'm about ten shades darker again than in the midi, but we'll now let it pale off as it's rather silly looking in a black dress and it makes me look like all the Jewesses and cops here. I'm thrilled about being shown at Cambridge and expect as much of a goings-on as in a Zulika Dobson. I think that you should mark it Portrait of Madame X. I've always wanted to be a mysterious, beautiful lady in a picture especially Madame X. I suppose that Picasso doesn't allow it to be called a portrait of me. I don't mean this exposition particularly, but in general. Are there rulings on the subject? Would you have a photographic reproduction of it made in London, as there's no one here who is competent to do it? I wish that I were to see the house all stuffed with treasures, overflowing with all the new pictures and overflowing with me too. My God, I'm so bored here. I think that I'm slowly going mad. I can't even kid myself into patience with the three weeks less before I'm to see you. It's already a lifetime. When I think that the same length of time is what I spent in Cornwall, and it seemed already my entire life, changed and glowing and renewed, that those three weeks were all I hoped for at that time, forever. 
My darling, my fingers stumble so much when I write to you. My heart falters and stumbles when I think of you. I'm blind, and I wait only for another blue letter to match my breakfast china to read it in bed in the morning, to warm against my body while I close my eyes and dream again and feel again. I've actually caused some interest in and curiosity about and sympathy towards my pictures and books. I've lent two or three people Max's book, The Cahier d'Art on Picasso, and they want more and more explanation of what and why, etc. Do you think that Herbert Reed's book would be the thing? I can't remember the name of it and I didn't read it so I can't know myself. So if you think it would help, would you send me a copy? My name is Sam Bardowell and I'm uh, the co-founder of Art Reoriented. One of the things that Lee Miller did that was instrumental in um, developing more awareness about surrealism within the younger artist circles in, in Cairo is that she opened up her library to all the younger artists. She was lending them books, she was lending them material that they were reading um, and then some of it would be translated into Arabic or into French if it was in English. So that was one of the key uh, things that she did in disseminating more knowledge about surrealism within uh, the Cairo art scene. I'm sort of up a tree, being put in the place of a lecturer and wish that I knew all the answers better myself. It's very hard to present the subject to someone for the first time, clearly and convincingly. So please help. Thank heavens that it wasn't either you or I who put the sign on Tripoutin. He would never have forgiven us and would have considered that we had humiliated him in the basest and most inconsiderate way. Your collages are on my bedroom wall, just opposite, over the foot of my bed and on the other side of the French window doors. The light is perfect on them, and they're brilliant like jewels under the glass. I've never had so many strangers in any of my bedrooms as the people who come to see them. The whole town is talking about my pictures, and everyone who comes to tea, lunch or dinner parades the whole house over and then looks rather dizzy. Man Ray's has become the real sujet de conversation, as they all immediately try to find something rude in it, and of course that isn't difficult. And it lets them out from discussing art anyway. Also lets me out, except for the few who might seriously be interested. In the snapshot that I took of you working on the collages when I had a cold in Mugens, you can see the two that I have. The yellow one is on the wall, or rather stuck on the window, and the Soleil de Mugin, it was a rainy day, is on the floor being stuck. I've been miserable for several days with what I insist is a defence mechanism disease, and one doctor insists is a simply an acid irritation, and another says is an infection from the swimming pool. But in the meantime, I've got a sort of itching rawness in my twat which gives me the nervous jitters. And I'd bet anything that if I was in London it would disappear in two hours, but I can hardly tell them so. In the meantime, they make me wash with bicarbonate of soda, drink Vichy and not eat the things I want to, or go swimming anymore. So I'm really sunk. Could you send me the formula for the powder? It's much better than any of these. Don't worry about me in the car. I'm more afraid of anyone else and beside there are no hills or curves here. That horrible moment on the Vichy Road is still with me and is a returning nightmare. Darling, I've got to go into town, so goodbye for the moment. Love, Lee. This is a smaller one of Lee's 
creamy airmail little letters that have been typed up. We don't have the exact date for it as the postmark is kind of blurry, but we do know it was in November 1937. My darling, I've nothing much to report, but I see the machine and I'm thinking of you and can't resist. Do you have a copy of this picture? I find that I have two, so this must be the one printed for you. I imagine that you're in Cambridge, and I wish that I'd gone there so I could know what it was like. I don't think that I will take any more pictures, as I'm bored stiff sorting out negatives and prints, and it's all too much trouble. I was quite right when I gave it up. I had by now forgotten all the reasons why I hated photos. I came back last night from two days desert with Aziz and the two Hopkinsons. Ninety miles each way of Montagne Russe, following the boulder-strewn wadis made even worse by last week's torrents, into a great canyon, all blood-red colour. The wadi rishrash, which is a government animal preserve for ibex, we saw some, but not many, as owing to the recent rains there were other places for them to drink, and as many as usual didn't come now to that waterhole. Wadi rishrash isn't very far from Cairo. My name is Hussein Omar, and I am a lecturer in modern global history at University College Dublin. But what's interesting is that the moment that she's in Egypt is a moment wherein hunting and poaching is, is a sort of very elite activity. And when King Farouk becomes really unpopular after 1942, um, pictures of him uh, hunting and poaching, and there's certainly some with ibexes, are very much part of the popular case that is made against his extravagance that begins to become increasingly powerful and important from the 1940s onwards. The game preservers are two old Albanians left over from when it was the private reserve and shoot of a prince. There's a hut, a well and an oasis. Old Jacob keeps pigeons and hasn't seen anyone except the soldier bringing his pay since 1935. That is, in the place. As he goes once a month by mule to the village of El Saf for a binge, a nasty mud hut affair. It's a so-called trip for supplies. It was like being in the bottom of God's bathtub. Towering cliffs on all four sides and the entrance to the wadi being around a curved cliff you couldn't see how to get out. There were a great many flies, bedbugs and spiders, all of which ate bits of me. And I'm tired of the desert and I wish that I were in Cornwall or Durl or someplace green with you. We've got a lot, too many tourist friends coming through in the next few weeks and none of them are you. Are Paul and Noosh really coming or is it just a project? I can't imagine anyone caring of listening to Paul's poetry to tell you the truth, but then I may know all the wrong kind of people here in Egypt. Even Maria Riaz, who's considered the intellectual of Egypt, doesn't seem to know what it's all about. Usually have academic people and no one cares either. But I love you. So what? You're Lee. Hampstead, Sunday 14th of November. My darling, my love. After a long day of writing letters and doing all sorts of dull, solitary necessities, I at last come to the moment that I have been thinking of, working for, 
keeping to the last as if it was the only one I have looked forward to, the moment when I write to you. Oh, darling, if only I could touch and kiss you instead of making blots on paper. Your letter with the photo of the buble was waiting for me when I got back, and the buble now resides in your wallet, which never leaves me, for what a buble's worth. All your instructions about your object for the show will be faithfully carried out. I shall love to choose a hand as nearly like yours as possible, and decorate it with teeth as nearly like mine as possible. You must let me know at once what to call it in the catalogue. I had thought of entering it as Le Bezer by Lee Miller. Let me know, darling, what you want. My cutie looks grand. I have got an idea that to finish her, at the moment she is just back from the wig-maker and looks too sweet and pretty for words, that I shall stick a whole lot of glass funnels of varying sizes into her neck, looking like a growth of lunar mushrooms. Please excuse this abominable paper that I bought from an old tramp. It's all I've got. Incidentally, I'm slightly overwhelmed with all that I've got to do in the next ten days to get this show afloat, but it's just as well to be occupied while you are not here. It keeps the dog to the moon feeling at bay. I've finished Life and Death of a Spanish Town. It is very moving, and from what I know of that part I should say very true. Things get worse and worse as regards Spain, and England is about to try and cash in on the loot to be got out of Franco's victory. It makes one vomit to see the Sunday Times and such like supposedly honest papers telling us that Franco is a fine fellow because he plays good golf and has opened the hunt to British officers in Gibraltar. That all they care about. I lunched with Eileen yesterday and spent the whole afternoon doing an invitation card with her for the show. She was very sweet, asked after you, naturally, and Joseph got his ankle better by your dandy. But news for you, my love, I haven't got any, except that it's sunny and cold, very cold and very sunny, and today it was Sunday, and sundry Sundays have been just as cold and just as sunny. But that doesn't matter. Talking of cuties, do you remember that when Swift met a poacher with a rabbit, he said to him, Pardon me, sir? But is that your own hair, or is it a wig? Darling, you'll think I'm drunk. Actually, I'm not. I go on writing to you all this stuff because it gives me a pleasure which is beyond all others to have even this substitute for your presence. I wonder how your dance went off. You, I know, must have looked unbelievably beautiful. I imagine you nearly naked, with probably bricks painted all up your legs, moss growing on the tops of these towers, a serene blue sky for your body, with two cotton-white clouds your breasts, two black pigeons as your hands, and the sun itself as your face. I know you weren't like that. Your genius and the regulations of Cairo society will have produced something much more humanly lovely. No, I'm afraid Paul and Noosh are not going to do their eastern tour. It seems to have fallen through altogether. I don't think they have any plans except a great desire to go somewhere where there is sun. 
In any case, a letter from you would be very much appreciated. Paul showed me with great reverence the one you had written him from Marseille. They both love you very much. I haven't been able to send you any photos for the simple reason that the only photos that have been taken were Thea's, and she wanted to develop them herself in Berlin. If she sends me any, I'll send them on to you. There is this one, however, of you at Cambridge which I took, hence the haziness. You are the central piece of the whole show and probably account for the fact that there has been a record attendance. Darling, write to me as often as you can. I miss you always, and the days when there are no letters are bad ones. You'll think me very greedy because I actually know that I have been very sweet and written very often and very long. But as I said in my last, if only you would put the date and something of you, once a finger, next time an ear, until little by little I should have you all here, here with me. No, after all, you had better come all at once. My love, please forgive my mentally deficient babble. I love you and want you. Roland This is on Lee's creamy airmail paper, and we don't have a date again for it. The postmark's obscured, but it's November 1937. We think the date's roughly around the 16th of November because she talks about the Hopkinson's fancy dress party, which was on the 12th. My darling, all these periods of neglect are only physical or rather material, and I think and want to write to you much more often than the opportunity is offered. When I write, I must be sure to have time enough at my disposal to finish, seal and send it off. Otherwise I risk complications. There's a great deal of excitement. The costume party was an unequalled success in history and I looked very tough and quite exciting. It took days to get the tattooing off, not because it was really tenacious, but because the liquid for removing it same was made of acetate and banana oil, than which a more diabolic combination can't be imagined. In that I had a two-day hangover, there were more parties, more drinks, and the smell made me throw up on the spot. I've been binging around considerably, what with the Gunters for a week and then the Standard Oil people, then Mr Bentley of the parent air conditioning company, The Carrier. My head going round and round with figures, numbers, plans for years ahead and thoughts of you. It makes it all very difficult for me to take these decisions seriously and responsibly. Now for several days already there have been Charles MacArthur, a man I love like God, here accompanied by Anita Luz III, a niece of the authoress and very beautiful. And Mr and Mrs Hyman, Hollywood producers. That all means more parties, more celebration, more alcohol. And I've managed to go on a camel every day and do sightseeing to like it. Tomorrow I'm going to Saqqara, which is the step pyramid, if you remember. We'll go accompanied by camera and beer. Also imagine it by snake antitoxin due to a real adventure yesterday in which we all demonstrated ourselves as heroes full of panic. We got the extremely bright idea of going to the sand dunes and trying to ski on the sand. Robin Fedden is making an article for Town and Country on things that people do here and as none of us liked the things we really do, we invented a few, such as this excursion. Climbing a dune is pretty hard work as it avalanches almost as fast as you can climb, but it's very pretty and extremely soft. The sunny side of the sand is hot and the shady side cold. 
It has ripples and caves away like an avalanche, and you have to go up the dune barefooted and to the hip in the sand at a speed greater than the sand comes pouring down, or else tumble head over heels covered by it. So we did some very smart pictures in bathing suits and sun helmets, some fancy slide on our bottoms, and run pluck into a higher, which is none other than the little friend with which Cleopatra took the easiest way out. Like a Vanderville blackout, we were out of that dune, and any wriggling mark on the sand for the whole trip brought back shudders and conversations about vipers. So the government doctors said, weren't we lucky, and also weren't we damn fools, and gave us serum for any future madnesses, but said, hadn't we stopped to think why no one ever went near the damn dunes, and that was why? One very bright idea, Gomfort. I'd go back like a shot, but the others have the wind up and don't trust the serum or their luck. So you can't ski alone. So what? Hampstead. Sunday, 21st of November. My darling Lee. A whole week has gone, occupied about entirely with preparations for this show. I feel rather worn out and ill-tempered, and will be even more so on Wednesday next at midnight when the show is due to open. There have, all the same, been some very nice things that have happened. Lunch yesterday with Katya. We talked endlessly of you. And Katya told me how much she loved you and of all her woes. She is terribly in love with a married man. Her sister's boyfriend has been killed in Spain, and the other married so that she is alone at present but she's going to write to you and will explain her tragic Russian soul much better than I can. Then Ingborg, the girl so loved by Trepotin, rang up and I dined and spent an evening with her. She is really a very intelligent girl, knows almost too much about European politics and has been everywhere. I'm afraid her sphere is too wide to be content forever with our devoted and well-meaning poet Trepotin. Then the family have been around. Lionel and Margaret came for a night, making it all very homely and old world. They asked after you, which is very rare that they should take an interest in any of my friends. The Lionel and Margaret mentioned in the letter were Roland's second eldest brother and his wife. Lionel was rather a remarkable character. You might describe him as being hyper-intelligent. He became one of the world's leading geneticists. And Roland and he could never quite hit it off, except one time when Roland visited Lionel's lab and Lionel sat him down and showed him uh, microscope slides of slices of people's brains. And Roland found the most incredibly beautiful patterns in these slides. And for, for a moment, for just a while, there was a wonderful rapport between the two of them. And then, of course, it got eclipsed because neither of them could understand the other's passions in a way which would have made their relationship more productive. Finally, one of my former flirts turned up suddenly. The little girl I told you about, who wrote to me at Margin and whom I thought had sent me her last farewell. She has come to London for a month and apparently does want to see me again after all. Slightly difficult for me since she is so easily hurt and inclined to be jealous, 
and I have to tell her that she can't cope for any great love, only some friendship. Darling, what can one do to a dove that comes and clings to one? One can't beat it off. Or should one? Our pity and all the neighbouring sentiments, the real poison that stops one enjoying what one most enjoys. Does one do any good by being considerate? I wish to God I knew. I have begun by playing the part of the affectionate uncle, not too affectionate and not too uncle. I only hope I shall have the patience to keep it up. I must tell you about your object. To begin with, there are no wax hands of the right type in London. I have found that after visiting a dozen or more shops. So I bought a wood one, which has a really good shape, and I painted it with the greatest care, inspired by your hands, which I can still see with some accuracy. But that was only half the job. The second hunt was for the teeth. Finally, after several false trails, I found two old men in white coats sitting in an attic, making the most rosy-pearly false jaws I have ever seen. I explained my mission as best I could, saying it was for an advertisement. To my surprise, there was a response. They looked at me, and a light appeared in their eyes as the eccentricity of your idea dawned. Yes, they said, we don't want the job. But you publicity men have such original notions. We'll do it, and we are sure you will be pleased. So now it's underway, and tomorrow I am to see a sample of what they can do. Your picture got back from Cambridge today. What am I to do about it? The customs question is a real snag, as I can hardly declare it at less than fifty pounds if your customs officer friend is so well informed. Shall I keep it for the present? like the fishing tackle which awaits you in my cupboard. Let me know, darling, what you would like. One reason why this week has seemed to me particularly dull is that no letter with pyramid stamps has appeared on my doormat, but I live in hope of finding one tomorrow. In any case, I must now go to bed. My Lee, darling, my Duke, my love, how I miss you. Your Roland. Tuesday. Yesterday I had such a fiendishly busy day that this did not get posted. Tripotan arrived all of a sudden last night and today I must run around getting everything straight. Still no letter from you, my love. Probably you are full up with visitors. Darling, do write to me all these days without hearing are very gloomy for me. Goodbye, my love, for the present. All my love to you. Roland. Next episode, Roland's landmark exhibition opens and tension between Aziz and Lee comes into the fore. This episode was presented by me, Amy Buhesen, co-director of Farley's House and Gallery, which also runs the Lee Miller archives. I also read Lee Miller's letters. Roland Penrose's letters are read by Adam Grayson. We're joined today by Anthony Penrose, son of Lee Miller and Roland Penrose and co-founder of the Lee Miller Archives. We're also joined by Sam Barduel, who's the co-founder of Art Reorientated and co-curator of Art and Liberty exhibition on Egyptian surrealism that opened at the Pompidou in 2016 and then toured internationally.
We're also joined by Dr. Hussein Omar, who lectures on modern global history, the University College Dublin. The music is composed by David Cullen, and this episode was produced by Tolly Robinson. This episode is copyright the Lee Miller Archives 2021.